You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Nightclub promoter, actor, and writer Ivan Kane goes on the record. I think you're heading into a real trap when you try and repeat the success of something that is perceived as cool in the marketplace. Because if you try and repeat that, um, I think by the time that particular project comes to fruition, what is defined as cool in the marketplace has shifted, and you're, you're already antiquated before you even get your feet wet. And thank you for joining me for another episode of On the Record Online. Uh, if you're a regular listener of the show, uh, then you know this is the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. Uh, we do in-depth, one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as, from time to time, discussions with influential bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers uh, about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the media business as we know it. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, and I'm the founder and president of iPressroom Corporation. Uh, We help companies integrate the web into their marketing communications and PR initiatives uh, through software, tools, and services. I am also personally and professionally interested in how technology and the Internet are changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Um, Today we have a uh, uh, different sort of guest. Uh, Many times I've been involved uh, with a client who has a new product, brand, or service uh, that they want to introduce to a um, very influential uh, demographic, uh, a young demographic, a a hip demographic, an urban demographic, a cool demographic. And um, we always uh, wonder, you know, what is the science of cool? How do we make something cool? It's so esoteric, so ethereal. Um, Today we are going to hear from Ivan Kane. Now, Ivan was an actor. Uh, He was in Platoon and born on the 4th of July to um, uh, Oliver Stone movies prior to launching a nightclub in Los Angeles called Kane. Now, uh, Kane was the hot place uh, to go in in, uh, Hollywood for quite some time. After that, he launched another club called Deep, and that was also a a breakout success. And on the heels of that, he opened another club, which is very innovative, called Forty Deuce. It's actually sort of a um, a vintage-style burlesque club, and uh, caters to a young audience of women and men, just as many women there as there are men, and there are beautiful uh, women, burlesque dancers, doing a vintage striptease on the stage. Um, it's a very unusual setting and very popular. Uh, he recently opened another 40 Deuce in Las Vegas. So now there's one in L.A. and one in Las Vegas. And he seems to really have his finger on the pulse of what's cool. So uh, we're going to talk to him today about the science of cooldom. No, cooldom is not a word. I just made it up right now because um, I don't feel comfortable saying fresh or fat. I'm too old for fresh or fat. Cool, I know. I didn't make it up. That was Fonzie, but it's the word that we're going to use because I think most of our listeners understand what I'm talking about when I say cool. 
Um, a few upcoming dates that I want to mention. Uh, if you are in Los Angeles on February 23rd and you want to learn how to podcast, uh, we're going to be doing an intensive seminar for non-technical professionals. Uh, it is the Executive Podcasting Workshop. It's going to be here in Los Angeles. It's an all-day event. In Palo Alto on March 2nd, I will be moderating the Newcom Forums Beyond Print podcasts and video blogging panel. Uh, that's going to be at 11.30. That's in Palo Alto. And in March, on the 14th, uh, I am going to be doing an executive's guide to blogging, RSS, and tagging uh, for the Public Relations Society of America's Los Angeles chapter, uh, the Inter Independent Practitioners Group. Uh, that's going to be uh, downtown LA on March 14th. And I am also going to be moderating a panel at Ad Tech in San Francisco, podcasts and vidcasts for marketing and PR. That is April 26th. Um, to get more information or to register for any of those dates, go to www.schwartzmanpr.com. If you would like to um, give me feedback or have suggestions for future guests that you'd like to hear on the show, uh, please send me your email to eric at ontherecordpodcast.com or you can post a comment um, to my blog, which is www.spinfluencer.com. There's also a link to the Spinfluencer from schwartzmanpr.com. Um, and you can also grab the feed itself, uh, where it lives, at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. I apologize for so many URLs. We're going to be consolidating those shortly. Uh, but until then, uh, those, that's where you can get that information. Um, so now, without any further ado, I'm going to play for you the interview with Ivan Kane. It runs just over 20 minutes, and uh, we are going to decipher the science of cool after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Ivan Kane, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. Sure. So now you started Kane the nightclub first, which was definitely the place to be seen, and then you open deep. What does it take to launch the place to be seen? Well, I think the first thing that's uh, most important for a nightclub entrepreneur is not to worry about what is the definition of cool as perceived by the other clubs or the other nightclub impresarios in town or across the country, because I think that's a recipe for disaster. So what you have to do is uh, trust your own visceral gut to what you think is hip and cool and wanted and needed and go with that instinct. So when you're coming up with an idea for a name, let's say, I mean, you pretty much just trust your gut? Well, a name's a tricky thing, and it happens several different ways. A lot of times uh, the name will be the first thing that pops into my head and I'll build the concept around the name. But more often than not, I'll have a concept for a club, and all of my clubs have dance in one shape or form as the centerpiece for the club, uh, whether it's ambiance or performance. Um, and more often than not, once the concept is come up with, uh, the name will follow. 
So now you're you're an entertainment guy. You're a, an actor and a writer as well. What's mm-hmm. the relationship between the culture of celebrity and and coolness? I mean, do you need celebrities to make something cool? Well, I don't think it's what defines the word cool, but certainly it validates the word cool, and that is an unfortunate byproduct of what I do for a living, and uh, it's a byproduct uh, that speaks uh, large volumes about where our society's at. If uh, Oprah recommends a book, everybody goes out and buys that book. If... um, Mick Jagger or Leonardo DiCaprio or Demi and Ashton decide to spend their leisure time at your nightclub, it validates everybody's choice of nightclubs for their entertainment. Um, What I like to do and what I've been very successful at doing is coming up with high-concept clubs that validate their choice in and of itself because what we do is offer something that they can't find anywhere else, but it certainly helps if they're reading in the trade papers or the you know gossip magazines or hear it on Entertainment Tonight that so and so, some kind of celebrity, um, frequents my establishment. It certainly makes them want to check it out. Once they check it out, then I'm confident that we've got them and they're going to come back and be repeat business. I just happen to be fortunate in that a lot of my friends and associates are celebrities, and a lot of my clientele is very, a lot of my establishments are celebrity-driven, so that I fall into that category as well as just also having something cool to go to. Now, obviously, it's no coincidence that you know all the names you just mentioned, in fact, do go to your clubs. How did they wind up finding out about it? It's word of mouth. Uh, it's the oldest form of uh, technology there is, you know. It's just word of mouth. People check it out. They like it. They talk about it. It's, uh, you know, it's a water cooler discussion or, uh, uh, you know, over coffee, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, they just hear about it, and eventually it enters into the mainstream pop sensibility, and it filters back to agents and assistants and... Uh, and other celebrities, and eventually word gets to them. So is there a science to making something cool? I think the science of what defines cool is something that is the antithesis of the word science. Unfortunately, there is no science. But, you know, if done right, it becomes a science. So it's sort of kind of a catch-22. I think I have gotten it down to a science, um, but that science starts with me and what I think is hip and what I think will work and what I think will make an interesting night out. Um, but it is instinct, and therefore it's not a science. But what, what, it only becomes a science when the formula works time and again, which I'm fortunate for having had it do so and continue to do so. So once it becomes something that you can repeat, then it becomes more formulaic, and it does become a science. So it's sort of kind of a weird antithesis of the word. So what would you say to business people, to, to marketing and advertising professionals at the studios and, uh, and at technology companies and record labels who have something to promote, a, a place or a product or a brand or a service, and they want to do it in a way that's cool? And what, what should they do? Well, I think the most important thing, and I think we do see it in the music industry and the film industry and even 
uh, you know, the magazine industry and the technological industry is, I think you're heading into a real trap when you try and repeat the success of something that is perceived as cool in the marketplace. Because if you try and repeat that, um, I think by the time that particular project comes to fruition, what is defined as cool in the marketplace has shifted, and you're you're already antiquated before you even get your feet wet. So I think is to you know define what's cool on your own terms. I think if I were to offer any kind of advice, it would be that. So d- does it? Do you have to be? making a debut to be cool? I mean, are sequels not cool? I mean, I think it's been done, and I think it's, you know, I think it's been done, but I think it's the exception, not the norm. I think being innovative is what I define as cool. When you offer a product that nobody's seen before, to me, that's cool. When you go into a nightclub and get a different experience besides, you know, four walls, lights, and sound, I think that's cool. When you see a film that's cut and directed and filmed and acted in a style that's different than what you've seen before, I think that's cool. When Ilya Kazan directed on the waterfront, no one had seen that acting style before. It was, you know, rooted in ultra realism, and it became a, you know, you know, over the years it becomes a, you know, a phenomenon. But it was innovative at the time. I think once you are able to, you know, come up with something that's unique. I think that, to me, is the definition of cool. You know, going to see something that you've seen before, read something you've read before, experience something you've experienced before, I think that, you know, borders on the mundane. Are you from L.A.? I'm not. I'm from New York. And how you came to L.A. in what year? I came to L.A. when I had done a film called Platoon to uh, capitalize on the success of that film and and be part of all the Oscar hoopla that accompanied the film, and I've been here ever since. 84? That was 84, wasn't it? That was about 85. 85, and, okay. Uh, I was in the acting game and had a little, had too much lack of control over my own destiny, so I took a left turn and never looked back and got into the nightlife industry, and which has allowed me to expand in all sorts of different arenas that I'm doing right now. Around that time, most of the hot clubs in L.A. were actually downtown, right? Um, there were some clubs downtown. That's a that's an area of town that hasn't quite gentrified, and um, um, but they certainly were not located where you find them right now in the heart of Hollywood. When I first came to Hollywood, there were very few. First of all, there were only about you know a half a dozen or less hip clubs, you know, and then people just kind of you know there's a romance and about the industry, and now we are oversaturated, but. At the time that I opened Kane, uh, you know, east of La Brea and deep on the corner of Hollywood and Vine, it was mostly populated by uh, street urchins and uh, junkies, pimps and whores. So um, it really wasn't an area that was fashionable for nightlife. Uh, My particular concepts were edgier by nature, and so I didn't mind being off the beaten track. And once again, I think that was forward thinking on my part and helped redefine what was cool and what area to be in is cool and and since I opened my first club in 97 those areas have become so over overly saturated that uh, you know it sort of changed the perception it's like the meatpacking district in Chelsea in New York you know became the hip spots for nightclub and restaurants in New York 
and then what happens? It becomes over gentrified and oversaturated, and more bridge and tunnel, and all of a sudden the perception shifts. So you got to be ahead of the curve because otherwise you're just screwed from this first day. So the, there's obviously uh, seems to be people want what they can't have. We want to get in where we can't get in, and uh, I know all your you know your clubs. You've always had a velvet rope, and uh, you know some people get in, some people don't. How do you balance? Uh, the fact that you know you need to get people in so that you generate wet sales against uh, I guess the the need to maintain exclusivity. That's a really interesting question and an excellent question and one that is at the heart of everything I do and think about. You know, you want to maintain your artistic integrity and you want the club to maintain a certain level of cool, to use your word, and cachet. At the same time, and you don't want to dilute your brand's integrity, but at the same time, you don't want to um, be exclusive to the point of, you know, uh, losing sight of the demographic and, and pricing yourself right out of the, mar- the market. So, you know, how do you maintain that fine balance? Well, it's tricky. Um, one way you can do it is by not opening these mega venues that are becoming more the rage in places like Las Vegas where I have a club at Manila Bay called Ivy Kane's 40 Dudes. I mean, we have an intimate club by Vegas standards in Vegas, 35, 4,000 square feet, whereas, you know, a lot of other clubs at, at some of the other casinos are 40,000 square feet. Now, if you've got 40,000 square feet to fill, it affects your decision-making process when it comes to, you know, diluting the integrity of the club you have a lot less ability to be picky but when you have a club that's you know 2,000 square feet or 4,000 square feet you know you can only have so many people in the club but you know with technology being what it is nowadays and with websites um, you know being available to anyone that logs on we have a website called 40dudes.com you know um you reach a mass audience, you know, and before that you weren't able to meet, reach a mass audience with something like nightclubs. So that affects you as well because you're exposed to so many more people and so many more people then desire getting into your club. I mean, we had a reality show on Bravo called 40 Dudes, which, you know, gave us a huge audience and all of a sudden people are coming to Vegas and looking for the club they saw on TV. Once again, how do you balance that? Well, it's tricky, but, you know, that's what separates the men from the boys, I guess. So now, in the world of PR, uh, you, so you, you put out a press release, and the press release is, in fact, a, a public disclosure. I mean, it's publicly available. There's nothing right. exclusive about a press release. I mean, can, you, can a press release be cool? Or if you put out a press release, is it no longer cool, the venue? Again, that's a, that's a really excellent question. You know, when I had clubs exclusively in L.A., my first three clubs were in Hollywood, we did not issue press releases. We did not advertise or market ourselves, and we relied exclusively on word of mouth, and I was extremely successful doing just that. Not only is it more economical, but it also maintains your kind of hip underground factor where not everybody not only knows about you, they don't know where it is, they don't recognize the building when they get there because there's no signage. But then you enter into a different marketplace and you have to do your homework. And my my next marketplace was Las Vegas, a completely different thing. 
press releases, yes. Advertising, yes. You know, marketing yourself to the masses, yes. And I think if you maintain your integrity in all those different areas, yes, it can be cool. I'm very particular about every single thing that goes out regarding the club and every piece of advertisement has my stamp on it. So I think it is possible even doing something that in one marketplace might be perceived as uncool or appealing to the masses, I think it is possible to maintain your integrity. It's just a matter of how much of a hands-on approach you maintain. So now, at 40 Deuce, there are women there, if not more women than men. You know, every That's night right. you guys always, are open. Always more women than men. How do you make a strip club cool for women? Well, first of all, if you'll forgive me, um, 40 Deuce isn't a strip club. It's... Uh, it's a burlesque club, and there's a big difference because uh, I go all over the world searching for the best dancers that are available to me, and these girls are dancers, trained dancers, and um, that's what the burlesque show is all about. There is striptease, of course, but there is no nudity, and what they do is do a dance that you would find in any music video or on any Broadway stage. A strip club is usually defined by girls who are not dancers, who are artificially endowed, who take their clothes off in the first five seconds, and quite frankly, although I think there's a place for that in our society, that's kind of a yawn compared to the entertainment value that we give someone that comes into our nightclub. But still, I mean, the fact that there are beautiful women dancing on stage, and it's a cool place for women to go, I mean, how did you do that? Because it would seem to me that perhaps the women would, wouldn't want to compete, you know, women that are going to a place to meet guys wouldn't want to have to compete with girls on stage. I mean, how do I mean, you do I that? I mean, are you igniting their inner stripper, or what are you doing? No, I understand the question, but it's exactly, it's related to what I just said in that because they are dancers and not strippers, because the talent and the level of excellence that I demand from the girls is so high, what they do on stage is empowering to women, and it makes them feel sexy, and it makes them explore their own sexuality, and it empowers them to do so, so that they can get on stage in between the shows and actually dance with other sexy girls, or they can go back to their hotel room and perform for their man or significant other. So rather than being off-putting and making them jealous that their man is looking at them or that they don't feel like they're competing with the women on stage, they're enjoying the experience together, and they feel more empowered rather than, you know, upset. So when you came up with the concept for the club of bringing back this sort of 40s burlesque club to Hollywood for a, young, for a younger generation... At that time, did you realize, hey, we're going to let the, you know, the patrons dance on stage in between sets? How did that come into being? Yeah, it's sort of one of those happy accidents. Um, because the girls, were, the female clients were so empowered, they, you know, we'd see them around the club shaking their booty or outside the club having a cigarette, you know, shaking it or copying the moves and... And eventually, girls just started saying, hey, can we go up there? And it just became part of the vibe of the club that the female clientele just gets on there, and we'll have 20, 30 girls on stage just dancing. I mean, they're club dancing, but they're on a stage. They could be down on the floor doing the same thing, but something about being four feet off the ground on a stage fulfills a fantasy of sorts, I think. How did you come up with the idea for 40 Deuce? Um... My wife was a burlesque dancer. Her name is Champagne Susie, and she was very famous on the East Coast. And, and we met, and um, I 
choreographed and conceptualized an act for her. This was many moons ago. And also as a kid in growing up in New York, I'd cut school and go down to the burlesque houses that were just waning at the time. And it was always something I thought was amazing. And then when I got into the club business, we knew that the dancers were going to be the heart and soul of what we did. And it was more ambiance, like I said, whether it was an homage to Bob Fosse and doing menage aux trois behind doing mirrors at deep or just an homage to the L.A. jazzy go-go scene of the Whiskey A Go-Go of the 60s, we always had dancers. And then finally it came full circle that we thought we should, re, you know, we should take the dance one step further and actually do a show um, and reinvent the art form that was burlesque or striptease. And most people in L.A. Uh, were naysayers and felt that nobody in L.A. would stop and actually watch a show in a nightclub. They'd be too busy you know, posturing and posing and canoodling and, you know, they had a reputation for being more interested in themselves than anything they might see in a club. And I felt, if done correctly, we can make the world stand still for a few moments and drinks go back down on the bar. And we certainly were successful in doing that. Now, when there's a major social or political uh, happening like um, a war or a, a natural disaster? I mean, do people shy away from clubs at that time, or do they actually seek them out more for, for I guess, the escapist uh, uh, fulfillment that, that they're looking for? I think the latter, and, I mean, that's a fortunate thing for me, and nobody, of course, likes to be, you know, nobody wants to have a reason to have to escape, but certainly whether it's an inflation or a recession, whether we're going through flush times or dealing on a, on a conscious level with a natural disaster on a global scale, people want to have a cathartic experience. So nightclubs, bars um, always offer that kind of escape and catharsis that you can't really find anywhere else. So, you know, at the end of the day, when I think about what I do for a living, I think I can take some kind of solace in the fact that I think we do offer escape from not only disasters on a more global level, but also just from the day-to-day realities of life being the difficult thing it is to put one foot in front of the other sometimes, dealing with your boss, dealing with your wife or girlfriend or husband, you know, so it's an opportunity to just kind of get away for a couple of hours and see something that kind of makes you smile. At the end of the day, what I do is try and make people smile. Ivan Kane, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for talking to me. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.